Hello and welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. There's all kinds of family, we chose this one. This is episode 46, Pit Stop, The Italian Job, from 2003. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe Two, and this episode is brought to you by Mini Cooper, celebrating 60 years of driving. Over 60 years of motoring have added up to hundreds of innovations and checkered flags, millions of models on the road, legions of devoted fans, and one international car of the century award. Mini Cooper. Very fitting, very timely for this episode. Yes. Mini Cooper. Was Mini Cooper the reason? Was, that was what he nodded at, right? When Deckard Shaw nodded in his garage at, oh, that was for a job yes. I did back, back in the day? Yep, exactly. So Mini knew we were doing this as a pit stop. This is our, I think, second official pit stop after we did I Am Paul Walker. Yeah, uh, I think so. so. The, it's been a while. It's been probably close to 40 episodes since we did that. But we are back here to talk about a movie not in the Fast and Furious canon, although now it is. Now, now it's it officially is, yeah. part of the backstory, which is weird and exciting, I guess. I don't know. It's very weird. I, I'm happy about it, though. You have Charlize and Jason Statham in this one, so it's really awesome to to finally have this involved. You know, it, it felt adjacent for a while for them to, like, nod at it and be like, yeah, it's part of it. And it's the reminder, movie. which we talked about in the past, directed by F. Gary Gray, who directed Fate. So, again, bringing those exactly. two together, adding some extra poignancy to and their the scenes writers. in eight. Right? Is it the writer of the Italian Job? Isn't he the writer that wrote Five? No, I don't think story? Chris Morgan wrote this. That was the whole story that we said that it's Italian Job too. No, the story was that they had a script for the Italian Job too called the Brazilian Job, and it never actually worked, and so they scrapped it. So when they were looking for a Fast and Furious movie, they retooled that and added in the family. So it was the writer. It's just not Chris Morgan. Like they had like an original script by the writer, who I'm assuming wrote this. Maybe not. Well, this was written by Donna Powers, Wayne Powers, and Troy Kennedy Martin, none of whom have anything to do with the franchise, the Fast and Furious franchise. It's not wildly uncommon to sort of scrap a movie and then rejigger it. And depending on, like, the writing, the way that the Writers Guild works, all I know is that it's very complicated. And if you have a certain amount of your work taken out, like, you could write, say, 40% of a movie or something, but you might not get credit based on X, Y, or Z. Like, it's a very archaic, weird system. That's weird, but yeah. You know, the, the people who wrote the sequel, I don't know if it was these people or not. I don't know. But, okay. Yeah. yeah, but I, I don't think that it's, it, there's, there's a connection here, but it's not necessarily, it's not like Chris Morgan, whoever, like, it's not somebody from the Fastiverse wrote that. It's somebody else wrote the script for the second one, and then it was translated by Chris Morgan and whoever else, the writer's team, into Fast Five. Yeah, it makes sense. So before we talk about the Italian job, we're going to do our normal top-of-the-show activities, starting off with extracurricular activities. Joe, you went to Pittsburgh this past week, and what were you doing in Pittsburgh? I was doing one of my favorite things ever, and I think I talked about it last time. Pittsburgh has a mini golf bar crawl tournament. Oh, that's weird that we both did bar crawls this past weekend. Oh, you did one too? That's cool. So yeah, so we went to Pittsburgh. Um, you have a mini golf team. We dressed up as Steelers of the past, the shithead ones. I made use of all of my old Steelers jerseys. I had my Antonio Brown jersey on. I bleached my mustache. Played some mini golf, got really drunk. Got to see my parents. That was about it. But it was a good time because I like doing that. So. Did you fly like a butterfly, sting like AB? Yes. 
I did. We had Not float. Too. Based on the based on that sign, fly like a butterfly. <laughs> I think he said fly like a butterfly in the first episode he of Hard Knocks. I think he messed up the quote, and then he was laughing at the guy. Shit talking the guy in the crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would make sense. Anything else that you've done since we recorded uh, Fate of the Furious with Gwyn Watkins? No, that was like the major thing because I went to do that. No, that was I was looking forward to that. I look forward to it every year. It's a blast. If you have the opportunity to do it, or you would like to join at some point. It's probably like one of my favorite drinking holidays of the year. Yeah, so my bar crawl was also athletically inclined, except actual athletics, sort of, as opposed to just... Uh, mini golf's not actual athletics? Mm, I mean, if Little Pete can do mini golf in this movie, I'm not sure that's not necessarily athletic. Yeah. Uh, we did a uh, bar trek, which was a cycling from bar to bar. We wound up biking about Ooh. 15 miles on Saturday. Jesus. Going from bar to bar. Did about 10 miles during the day, and then five back to the shop to drop off the bikes at night. Uh, went to seven or eight bars, I think. For we were raising money for a charity. Uh, the oh, I have I have the thing somewhere. It's like the it was for suicide prevention awareness. Oh, cool. And so this was the same thing. I think I might have talked about it last year for the bachelor party that I went to. My friend who lived in England for a couple of years now lives in America again. Has yeah. organized this eight years now. Eight eight of the last ten years. He was over in England for a couple, didn't come back for a couple, but they just, uh, you know, everybody, there were probably about 40 people this year. We all went from bar to bar drinking, and we all had the same shirt on. We, we ran into two other bar crawls while we were on the move. Uh, That's we cool. heard We heard one uh, employee at one of the stops telling us that uh, they liked our shirts better than the other shirt. Um, and my friend made the design. The guy who did, actually, my friend who made our art for this show did the design for the, t- the T-shirts, and he was there on Saturday, so... It was a nice little compliment to him. That's cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, but it was like eight bars over the span of probably about 12 hours. Is it like a big thing, or do you guys just do a bar crawl? Well, there were 40 of us. I mean, it's like there's like a Facebook group with like 800 people in it or something like that, and he puts it out to everybody. Like last year for his bachelor party, we probably had like 80 or more. Wow. Okay. Uh, but this year we had 40. So it's not like it's like a broader thing. It's just this is the weekend yeah. that we chose to do it. It was a That's beautiful cool. weekend yeah. on Saturday. You know, it was just it was gorgeous weather, you know, not hot, sunny. Uh it was it was wonderful. Couldn't ask for a better day to bike and got to drink a bunch, see some friends. So that was a cool day. Yeah. Amen. I did very similar, so I'm with you, brother. And then I've got uh, I'm seeing some other friends this weekend that said, well, that'll report back on the Hobbs and Shaw episode next week. But yeah, so that's going to be uh, cool. But that's not here. That's there. So we will talk about that later. Sounds good. A couple important news items have crossed my desk since we last recorded. Number one, as you're hearing this, it's too late. But the Fast and Furious movies are no longer on Netflix. The thing is expired, things go away, things come, whatever. The first three movies, which were on Netflix, are no longer on Netflix. That sort of ties in hand in hand with our rabbit, but now not rabbit (laughs) viewing experience. Double screwed, right? So we got to figure that out. I do want to point attention to that it's going to be Tuesday, September 24th, will be the watch. We don't know how it's going to happen yet, but Tuesday, September 24th, will be our rabbit watch along. Live watch, live chat, whatever you want to call it. Tuesday the 24th, probably around 9 or 10 Eastern, just to give West Coast people a chance to get home from work. Yeah, that'd be fine. So September 24th, we will give more details on what we're doing, how we're going to do it, where we're going to chat. Mark your calendars, Tuesday, 9-24. Yes. So, Joe, we have no new reviews this week. If you are listening and you have not gone onto iTunes or whatever your podcatcher of choice is, go on iTunes, please. Give us five stars. Write something nice or write something mean. I don't care, but just give us five stars. It helps with the algorithms and all that sort of fun stuff. Yep. If you don't 
listen on iTunes, the podcast app, whatever, and you want to leave us a review, send me a link to where it is, and I'll share that on there. Or if you want to do it silently, you can do that too. But Joe, we do have three emails tonight. Three emails. Okay. Um, I also do want to give shout out to Cassie Wilson, Jake Furr, Ben Milliman, and Nick Burris for supporting us on Patreon at TooFast2Forever.com. Got some very exciting things coming up soon. So if you're interested in learning more, Check out the Patreon at TooFast2Forever.com. Joe, our first email tonight is from our friend up north, Justin Kleinman. Hello, Justin. Subject line, fresh off a vacation and finally seeing Hobbs and Shaw. Okay. Okay, it says, part one, Hobbs and Shaw. I was obviously disappointed to learn that Hobbs and Shaw would open the day after I would be leaving out of the country for a vacation. More on that later. Okay. I made plans with my closest Fast and Furious friend to see the film upon my return. By last night, it had been taken from most of the theaters in the Twin Cities area, We've been cut to one or two showings a day. That's a bad sign. We found a place nearby, and myself, my wife, and our friend had the screening to ourselves. But that's good. I will say, I just bought a ticket to see it again on Tuesday night before we record with Mike. There's still multiple showings a day. It's still in all the theaters by me. It just crossed, this past weekend, $600 worldwide. It's Universal's biggest release of the year. I think it's like 8th or nine or 10th biggest movie of the year. It's probably like top three biggest non-Disney movie of the year. That's true. You know, it's been out for almost a month now. I'm surprised that it sort of got pulled from theaters up there, but uh, it's still out there. If If you haven't seen it yet... Go see it, but, you know, it's it's still out there if you want to find it. Yeah. I wish I could say any of us liked it, but none of us really did. Here are my Ooh. thoughts, which are pretty much the consensus of all three of us. Okay. The Rock's shtick really wore thin. I've been a huge Statham fan for years. I've seen everything he's made, many of which are bad movies and entirely forgettable. If this had just been a run-of-the-mill film of his outside the Fastiverse and without The Rock... I would have found it much more enjoyable. Interesting. Okay. The Samoa act of the film was definitely the highlight, and I enjoyed Kevin Hart and Ryan Reynolds. That in and of itself says a lot, considering Kevin Hart's barely in the film, and I've generally always disliked Ryan Reynolds. Ooh. Also, according to lots of Google links, Ryan Reynolds voiced, quote, the director under the alias Champ Nightingale, which we talked about last week. Yes, we did. Apparently not because he'll play him in a future film, but because he was available to do it. So that sort of answers our question that we had last week, that, you know, it's not that he was sort of hiding because he had talked, he had given himself that Aviation Gin review as Champ Nightingale, but just, you know, not to credit Ryan Reynolds in the credits, but to sort of credit someone, it makes sense. So it was his voice then, is that what we're saying? That's what... Justin says? Justin says. Again, like, I still hear Charlize in there, but I guess, I don't know. Yeah, it's modulated, who knows? I've read that David Leach and Chris Morgan have said they left Owen out to concentrate on the other characters, but it seemed distracting throughout the movie to never even mention him and then throw in the random, quote, kill my brother line. My friend said perhaps this film takes place a bit in the future with Owen being killed somewhere between F8 and this film. If that is the case, then somehow Hobbs' recast daughter appears to be getting younger. So Justin sent this email before our newest episode came out. So he sort of covered a lot of that on the last episode about... You know, how we've can sort of confirmed that Owen is alive, in fact. Wasn't it Gwen who said that they mentioned Owen in the beginning? Or who said this? Maybe Montez? No, Melissa did. Melissa, Melissa did. did. Yeah, that's right. Montez doesn't listen to this. Montez is so far... I've talked to Montez. Montez is so far behind on podcasts. She's also literally about to have a baby, I think, any day now, if she yeah, hasn't already right. had one already. Very true. But she fell way behind, because I think she's been listening to, I want to say, audiobooks? Or she's been busy? I don't know. She's behind on podcasts. Okay. And she said that she, when, when we made Boyfriend Material Weekly, she said out loud, ugh, damn it. So <laughs> she fun. knows that she's had a lot of listening to do. Game of Thrones jokes didn't bother me until you two mentioned it, but now it really starting to arg. Well, 
sorry that we made the movie a little bit worse for you, but uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, but they, but I think we have a point that they're they're not going to hold up well. Yeah. Anyway, I could ramble on about more, but I'll just leave with this. I don't need to redo my previous emailed rankings because this easily slots in at the end, oh. and I don't feel like I need to see it again. Oh, ouch! You're going to skip one of every nine podcasts that we do a year. <laughs> well, he might listen. He just might not enjoy. Yeah, it. exactly. You don't have to rewatch it, yeah. So we have three different people with rankings. Two have it ninth, and then Wells has it fifth. So when we do our relap recap, I'm assuming that at least I will, if not you two, will rank all nine and see where it fits. And I know it's going to be maybe not higher than five, but definitely closer to five than nine. So uh, yeah, we'll see. Part two, the fun stuff. In regards to Girl Scout cookies, I've always enjoyed the Caramel Delights Samoas the best. I can easily just eat a whole sleeve. They were called the Samoan name when I was a kid in Minnesota, but made the Caramel Delight name change 10 or 15 years ago. Interesting. Aldi also sells a knockoff version year-round that I'll purchase from time to time. So not only Walmart. If you don't want to support Walmart, go to Aldi. Aldi also has a knockoff, so again. No, support the Girl Scouts. Well, they don't you sell know, like, them all year round, do they? I, I No, they don't. But I it's mean... once or twice a year. If you need that fix... once a year. Yeah, if you need that fix, I get it. But like, generally, go support the Girl Scouts over Walmart. Not that he's saying that he wasn't. If you get the chance, buy the Girl Scout cookies. Stock up. You know, make a little girl's day. Buy fucking 10 boxes of these at a way ridiculous overpriced price. And the boxes keep getting smaller for some reason. The, the cookies keep getting smaller every year to you. I don't like, really, I, feel... I don't, I don't support the Girl Scouts anymore because I can get them God cheaper elsewhere. That's I just terrible. put a link in the Kakopa chat, Kakopa pick chat. Justin sent a link of the deli- from delish.com. PSA Aldi sells copycat Girl Scout cookies all year long. And they taste just like the real they thing. They look They're called just like caramel coconut too. fudge cookies. And Benton's. it looks like a big pack. It looks like a huge pack. I wonder how much those cost. Jeez. Justin says, next my vacation. I've attached a photo for the car guessing game. Maybe it would be Ooh. best to just be shared with Joe, too, as a bonus, because he'll never guess it. Ooh. He says, we traveled to Peru when this car was everywhere. It was one of the ugliest cars I've ever seen. The weird thing is none of them actually had a name on them. I had to ask around to figure it out. Everywhere you look, you see these cars, especially used as taxis. The owners would cover them, I guess ironically, with racing details, oftentimes there would be big <laughs> subwoofers taking up the whole back end of them. Sadly, I couldn't get a photo quick enough of the one that drove by with the huge Fast and Furious decal at the oh. top of his windshield. Very All these cool. cars appeared to be the same approximate year, around 1990. It was like the company made too many and didn't know what to do with them, so they stripped the nameplates off them and abandoned them in a cargo ship on the coast of Peru. Car is a Daewoo Tico. T-I-C-O. Daewoo was uh, made, like, they had some other company. Daewoo's, we had a, co- a very, very few in America. Daewoo Tico. I would never have guessed a Daewoo, for sure. Yeah. Because it's, like, super rare. But, yeah, it looks like a Scion. Maybe, like, a Scion XB, right? But I, like, I get the sense that it's little. Like, I it's don't think... very tiny, like, yeah. Mini Cooper-sized. Appropriate for this episode. Until next time, family, Justin in Minneapolis. Well, Justin, thank you for writing in. I'm sorry that you didn't like Hobbs and Shaw. I hope you will still listen to our Hobbs and Shaw episodes because maybe we will crack the code and maybe you'll you'll find something in there that you like. I don't know. Who maybe, knows? maybe not. I hope you had fun in Peru. Peru sounds cool. My sister's been there. I've never been there. She loves it. She's gone multiple times. So. Shout out Maria. Shout, yeah, or not. All right, Joe, we've got two emails, both from Wes Hampton. First up, okay. Seven Fast, Seven Furious, What Up Fam? He says, I'm not sure if this will reach you before you record the next episode, but hopefully it does. You'll be getting two emails in one episode from me again, and no one wants that. And so I responded to him, and I said, too late, Junior. And then he sent a gift back of Paul saying, I almost had you. Perfect. Right off the top, I have to say that Kate was one of my favorite guests so far. She's into these movies at a level that I can definitely appreciate. Took so many notes about last episode. I think I'll skip most of them so you don't have a three-plus-hour episode on your hands. 
Okay. Suffice it to say that I had a lot of thoughts on her theories, and I actually agree with most of her opinions, even if I don't necessarily agree with her conclusions. Yeah. Hobbs and Shaw was a lot of fun. I thoroughly enjoyed it, even with all the silly behind-the-scenes stuff. Anyway, here are my new episode observations. Kick them. First off, my first thought of Fury 7 is Paul Walker's Goodbye. But aside from that, I always think about the house exploding in the beginning. It was so shocking and sad the first time. You talked about Vin Diesel plotting out future movies based on where he wanted a vacation. I can't say you're totally yes. wrong, but I think a big part of them going to Cuba was to be the first major Hollywood film to shoot there after the border opened. Which makes sense. I yeah. agree. Kate said she liked Jason Statham as the straight man, but I disagree. After watching most of his movies, I can tell you he was entertaining. He's more entertaining when he plays a somewhat comedic character. They maybe took it a little too far in Hobbs and Shaw, but him as just a grim fighting guy only works if the rest of the movie is really strong, like The Transporter. His characters in Lock, Stock, and Snatch, and even The Expendables are much more fun to, fun to watch. I also I still haven't seen this Spy, movie. but I've heard really good things. And this movie. Statham and Spy is like one of the funniest performances I've ever seen in any movie. He's so goddamn good. I can't wait to watch it. It's a Melissa McCarthy, Paul Feig movie, and he just plays basically a caricature of himself. Oh my god. Whenever we do a Jason Statham lap... You're definitely slotting in Spy because I cannot express my love for it enough. I think The Contenders already did an episode on that. Um, So, Wes, if you listen or if you watch the movie and want to listen to a podcast about it before we get to it, Tobin and Eisen cover that over on The Contenders. Very cool. Speaking of Shaw, I think people forget that while his methods are different and he clearly has a different moral compass than Dom, Decker didn't really do anything different than Dom tries to do. Dom's family takes out Owen, so Deckard takes out Han, so Dom tries to take out Deckard. We know a bit more of his backstory now, and they're trying to make him sympathetic, which I think might be a mistake, but as long as he stays out of the way of the family, it shouldn't matter. I love Han as much as anyone, but I can't fault Deckard for doing what he did. I'm not saying he should ever be totally forgiven, but they were all messed around by Cypher, and he helped out Dom when he could. To that point, though, I don't think he would have made a big deal out of making amends, that doesn't really fit with his character. And I agree with you. Like like I said, we do want Justice for Han, for sure, but he was, he was just looking out for his, his family, too. So if you look at it from the bigger picture, like, I'm hurt that Han's gone, and of course Justice for Han, but, like, do you really fault him? You can't, because Dom's doing the same thing. How many random strangers in the street does Dom kill, you know, for whatever reasons, because they were trying to fuck with you know, part of the family. We talk a lot about how Dom's not necessarily a good guy. Like, the family are morally ambiguous, and I feel like yeah. Deckard is painted as the villain, but he's not... I mean, he is the villain, but he's not a villain. Everyone is the hero of their own story, right? And, like, if you had someone yes. take out your brother... Like, that's how a movie starts. Like, you know, a bad guy takes out your brother, and you go after his family, right? Like, that's that's yeah. the movie. It's just the reversal of If you saw the movie from Statham's perspective, it yeah. would be, like, a completely different movie. Dom would be the bad guy, and Statham would just be, like, trying to get vengeance. He'd be, like, John Wick of Fast and the Furious or something. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Except instead of a dog, it's Owen. Yeah, exactly. The car jump in Dubai was so silly, and I'm not I'm actually not crazy about that stunt just because it's so over the top. It's like one step over the line for me. However, I do love the first jump out of the first building. They include what has to be a video game reference with them basically doing a rocket jump when Deckard fires an RPG at them. Do you remember the rocket jumps in Halo when like you had to get up higher and you like jump once and then you could shoot a rocket down as you were on the way up, and it would sort of propel you up. Do you remember doing that or no? Yeah, uh, vaguely. When you said it, yes, not before you said it, but I remember now. Was it to get to, like, places you needed to get to, or was it to get to places you weren't supposed to be on? It, it was both, but I think it was, like, getting there via ways that you were not supposed to necessarily, like, sort of shortcutty ways, or I think yeah. kind of escaping. I completely forgot it was a thing until Wes mentioned it, but I remember being able to do it every once in a while, but not consistently. Yeah, because you'd blow 
blow yourself up. I remember this too now that you say that. There's also uh, there's a game called Celeste, which is like an indie game for the Xbox One and probably oh definitely for the PS4. That game is like brutally hard. Like it's it's hard enough. And then there's B sides, which are even harder. And then there's C sides, which are even harder still. And this like sounds terrible. And okay. like halfway through or three quarters of the way through the B sides. So you've been playing this game for like ten hours, doing all these different like stages, and they introduce a thing where like if you basically jump at a wall. You can sort of jump off the wall for a boost. And it's like, okay. where the fuck, where, where was this for ten hours? Like now I have to master a new mechanic. So it's kind of like a rocket jump, oh. and it kind of broke my brain because like, like I was, you I, know, like I was that, pretty good at good enough at the game to be able to beat it. And I'm like, now I got to master a new thing. I'm like, now you're sort of like, it's not really timed. Like it's not like you have to race through something. And if you die, you just reset the same screen. But it's like, oh, this is. This is rough. I enjoyed the idea of, like, adding a new mechanic late. That's, like, an old-school game thing. Remember, you know, we'd play these games, and you, like, wouldn't get a new weapon till like, three-quarters of the way through the game, which doesn't really seem to happen that much anymore in games. I, I mean, granted, I'm, I don't play a ton of games anymore, but, like, they would never introduce a new mechanic or something like that late later in the game. Yeah, and this definitely feels like the kind of game, and this is definitely the throwback sort of... It's a 2D platformer that has sort of the pixel art graphics, and it's definitely yeah. going for that aesthetic, so... I think it's just something that you don't necessarily see anymore. No, you don't. Definitely not. I don't think so, at least. Now it's like you'd have to buy this mechanic at the very beginning of the game. <laughs> As for the rewrites due to Paul Walker's death, I don't know the specifics, but Kate had a lot of good theories about that. I do know that Jordana Great Brewster theories. talked about how they filmed, they hadn't filmed a lot of the more emotional scenes yet. And the phone call near the end was altered and cut together with old dialogue. Which totally lends to Kate's theory. Mm-hmm. I agree. You guys started wondering about the timeline again, and let me warn you, that way lies madness, you my friends. It makes no sense. But Kate brought up some great theories that make the inconsistencies at least make sense. Of course, it doesn't explain why they didn't rework the eighth script a little more, but they've never put a lot of effort into avoiding plot holes. Yeah, that's true. I do wonder if at some point they have to be like, do we really care when you have the star of your movies die? And you're trying this, like, you know, explosive world-building, complicated mythology, right? And then you have to completely change everything because literally someone you love and you work with every day dies. It's kind of like, how much do we really... Like, we can sort of... This can be like a reset, sort of, right? So... Yeah, they, I don't blame uh, them, but it's still, in terms of what we're doing, if it made more sense, it would be better. Yeah, true. I can't believe you didn't get Kate's take on, quote, no knees to knees. Next time. Oh, next time. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we definitely should have asked her what we thought no knees to knees meant to her. We fucked up, and I am so sorry. And I'm he very says, sorry. That's it for this episode. Until next time, stay furious. And then he includes a car picture. So we have two car pictures now. Okay. One we're doing Hobbs and Shaw. One we will do with Kara. I'm going to guess, and this can also be a question that we asked, so... Between this lap and next lap, I think probably as part of the relap recap, Joe and I yes. are going to talk to Kara, who's on the entire next lap, the driving school lap, and we're yes. going to find out what she knows, what she doesn't know, etc. Yes, um, like because she's never seen any of them, so we're just going to get like a, a general foundation of where she is with the Fastiverse. I'm guessing. I might be wildly wrong. I don't know. I, I don't know. Just based on knowing her, I don't know that she knows a lot about cars. Other, if she does, she's hidden it very well. So yes. this might be a lot of me and her describing cars to you. That's that fine. said, yeah. we have car get, uh, we have car pictures now for Hobbs and Shaw and for the first movie let, next lap. So perfect. We're, perfect. we're set up for yeah. a little bit, which is nice. Cool. Next email, last email, also from Wes. Eight fast, eight furious. Now I'm wondering if he's going to do Hobbs fast, Shaw furious. I, I'm curious Ooh. to see what he's going to do. Wes, I don't yeah. want to influence your your subject line titling, but Italian fast, job fury. I don't know. I don't know either. What up, fam? Obviously, I didn't get my last email in before you record the Fate episode, but that's okay. 
so I really didn't have much to add to this episode. Gwen was a lot of fun, and I liked her insight as a person who had no connection to the films before watching them. I'm definitely going to look up her articles about the movies. And if you follow us on Twitter, at TooFastTooForever, she tweeted basically at us, and we retweeted all six of her articles, or all five of her articles, or whatever. They're a lot of fun. And, and like, I had read them, that's actually how, like, we kind of found her. Because we were doing the, the walk down memory chain, and I was wondering if someone had that's done right, that yes. yet, and found I found her article. Yes. And you sent me that one, and from that one, I found the, she watched six in a row, and I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. Yes. Here are my very brief new episode observations. My first thought when I think of fate is Dom driving backwards in the burning car at the end of the Cuban mile. It was so ridiculous, and we were laughing the whole time in the theater. Yeah, it's a great scene. You talked about Giselle not being named in F4, but I'm almost positive she's never named in F5 either. When they do the building the team montage, they don't actually say anybody's names, they just talk about what the roles they needed to fill. Could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Giselle doesn't get get named till F6. I don't think this is the case, but wouldn't it be terrible if she didn't get named until Mia asks, where's Giselle? At the very end of the movie? Just like Fight Club, in Death we have a name. Her name was Giselle Yashar. (laughs) Her name is Giselle Yashar. I think that she's named. I'm pretty sure she's named in five because I think that they realized, oh, she's sticking around. I don't know when, but I think I remember reading trivia about four that she wasn't named in four, and I'm pretty sure she is in five. But I also, I don't know. I don't know either. We'll find out. Pay attention next time. When I first saw Hobbs and Shaw, I was convinced the voice was Cypher, and Joey talked me out of it. Now you're going all in on this theory? It's not a bad one, but I'm not so sure. I think it will be someone totally new, possibly have something to do with Hobbs' ex-slash-late-wife-slash-baby-mama. We know literally nothing about his backstory, so it's really a blank canvas. I've always been curious about his daughter's mother, because she was never mentioned. There's got to be an interesting story there, I would imagine. Yeah, Obviously, Han is a ridiculous guest, but even if they wanted to do it, the timeline doesn't work out. Han's going to the start of F7, which is eight years after Etienne tries to recruit Shaw. He turns them down, gets burned, and he kills, quote-unquote, kills... Brixton. Oh, so there, there goes that theory. All right. Unfortunately, we we are not we're never one to not rewrite history, right? So <laughs> yeah, like I mean, we unkilled Han and Letty for yeah. that matter. So as far as Ramsey's name goes, I can't figure out where the name Megan comes from. It's on the FNF wiki, but I don't see it credited anywhere. It's definitely possible it shows up on a screen somewhere, but I can't find any reference to it. I seriously, doubt Ramsey is her last name. Ramsey is her hacker pseudonym. And most people don't use their real last names as their online personas, Very especially if they're doing stuff that's likely to get them arrested or kidnapped. At least that's how I always interpreted it, which is very good point. Wes a secret hacker? That he knows all this hacker hackerness? Yeah, but I'm sure if he's a secret hacker, it's like TMNT, Cross Stitch, <laughs> FNF, Wizard. One. Yeah. <laughs> like, Automancer. Yeah. <laughs> That's all for this week. No car picture since I sent one in my last email that didn't make it in time. Until next week, stay furious, Wes. Thank you for the email, Wes. We're still trying to figure out the voice thing. I have some new theories in this movie now. You know, just wild theories. So we're going to keep tracking it until they give us a fucking answer in two years. So Yeah. So, Joe, let us now go to the Fast and Furious Minute. Minute 13, a minute I dubbed Edwin Knows. He knows, for sure. My baby. But I ain't cutting her loose tonight. Why not? Nah, it's because I'm going legit, homie. I'm trying to get on the Maris circuit. You heard about that? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what? What's up with you, man? I'm just waiting for Toretto. Shit, gotta get in line. It's yours? Yeah, I'm standing next to it. That's funny. You know, Edwin happens to know a few things. And one of the things Edwin knows is, it's not how you stand by your car. It's how you race your car. You better learn that.
not this is not necessarily a downer of a minute, but I think if we were ranking, if we did a power rankings of the minutes, this would definitely be closer to 13 than it would be to one so far. Yeah, this is close to the bottom. I mean, like, it, it's another building minute, you know? Like, we're about yep. to hit some fire-ass ones, right? We're about to hit some race ones. This one was, like, not a lot. As you heard in the minute that we just played the audio of, Edwin comes over and talks to Ja Rule. Edwin, he, he refers to himself as Edwin in the third he person. Third purses. Yeah, he and third I think that it's Edwin. funny, but it's also like, well, what's your, like, who are you? Like, he's just like, Edwin knows, Edwin knows. And while it's like funny and sort of an interesting character development trait, trait yeah. that he describes himself in the third person, we don't know who this person is. He's like this, maybe the eighth person we've talked to in this world. And he's like, Edwin this, Edwin that. It's like, well, who's, who's Edwin? Like, it just, it doesn't feel like it fits and also doesn't sort of fit. Maybe that was like a Ja Rule character trait. Like, remember when we were talking to Gwen and she's like, Tyrese's improv technique is to take a shirt off and eat? Maybe, like, they're like, Ja Rule, here's your lines. And he's like, instead of saying, I know, like, they would put, like, Edwin in brackets and he's reading it like, Edwin knows. I can take that theory, but I'm giving him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt is that... You know, he's in this movie a fair amount. No, he's not. Well, I mean, I mean, compare like he's got a decent amount of lines. He he, he has lines in a, a, a multiple multiple minutes. But what I'm saying, for as much as he talks, which maybe is 15 lines the entire movie, yeah. no one necessarily refers to him as Edwin. And so True. instead of just going down as a nameless character, he wants to get his name out there. But I don't know how you do that. Unless he's like, "Hi, my name's Edwin. Is this your car?" Like that doesn't <laughs> yeah. necessarily work. So like Hector. Like, my name's Hector, I got yep. a last name too, but I can't pronounce it. Yeah, exactly. And then after they speak, Dom and his crew appear. Dom gets out, asks a girl what sounds like something like, what have you been doing yoga to some girl named Jamil, maybe? Oh. Because he's, he's talking to two honeys as as Letty gets out of her car, but I don't know. For us, that was like right at the end of the minute, and the way that you cropped them, it was hard for me to distinguish. Well, I'm so sorry. No, no, it's not It's not your fault. It's just like, you know, it just fell right in the middle of yep. that thing. So, like, I need context from the end to go back to... But there is something in the dialogue that you pointed out that you sort of did a little bit of digging on that is important to note. Yes. Hector says he's trying to get on the Naira circuit. I was wondering if this was Naira and Y-R-A or N-I-R-A... Or what? It sounded like Naira to me, so I started looking up Naira Circuit, yep. and I found an article that like a, a forum post of somebody's like, "What's the Naira Circuit?" Much like I had assumed, you know, you have the National Hot Rod Association, the NHRA, which does the drag racing that mm-hmm. you know we see on Saturdays. You said your dad watched it, yep. mm-hmm. you know, and they were saying we can assume that Naira is the National Import Racing Association, which is, I think, we don't know that for a fact, but that would make perfect sense. But also, Naira doesn't exist. It's just, like, made up for the movie. There is no Naira. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting take. I like that somebody else was... I like that some other place was talking about this, too, trying to decipher what was going on here in this one line. But yeah, it was interesting. I think it's... Not funny is the wrong word, but I think it's interesting that in a, in a franchise that dub something Race Wars, they don't have a more clever or creative name than Naira, you know? No, I think that it, it's more suitable. It's not a clever or creative name. It's the name that sounds the most reasonable. Yeah, that you, okay. That you hear it and you don't, your brain doesn't say like, oh, this, like, if it was like Drift You could be Kings, a real car nerd to figure, to sort of, I guess that's who they're catering to. It, it sounds natural. It doesn't sound unnatural. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it plays well to that. That's what I think the, the, the thought was. Before we get to the car, because the car, Dom's car is sort of the, the big detail left. There's a song. Okay that Dom is listening to as he pulls up I can't tell what it is because they do a real heavy fade as he closes and opens the door so you really only hear the music for like two or three seconds and it sounds something like 
Blood City Hustlin' or Blood City Hustlers. And I, mm. I googled everything that was some kind of combination of that, and I couldn't figure something out. So if you know what that song is, let us know, family at cageclub.me. I could have done a little bit more digging in terms of seeing if anybody else had asked that question, but I was just trying to, I was searching for the, Googling the lyrics, trying to find out, and I, I couldn't nail it. So maybe in the next minute, we'll hear more of it, and it'll be easier to decipher. But, uh, but in that car that he pulls up in, what is it? Yes. Hit us with it. This is actually really cool, and I have like a little side story to tell about this too. It's a 93 Mazda RX-7, the FD. The FD is significant because I didn't tell you, but I would like to do this for some pit stops in a, in a lap coming up. But I was rewatching Initial D. That's a movie, right? No, it's it's a cartoon. It's like an anime that's like six seasons long. Oh, okay. It was, I forget when it was. Maybe it was in the 80s that Initial D came out. Let me check. 98. Okay, so Initial D came out in 98. There's also a movie, I think a Chinese movie, called Initial D from 2005 about drift racing. That's what this, that's what the anime is. So it's based, I guess it's based on the series. Yes. Okay. So this would be before, you know, we got Fast and the Furious, before we got Tokyo Drift for sure, that we have a whole anime that was about drifting. So this would actually be like the first American crossover into drifting, I would say. And the whole point of that was in Initial D, they refer to all the cars as like their body style types and stuff like that. An 8.6 and like an FD, an FC. And they call all the cars this very early on in the series. The one kid is like, what are you guys talking about? Like, And they're like, no, that's what we meant by like what we're saying this. Like, how did you not know? And he's like, well... If you just call it that, like, I won't know what the cars are. So, anyways, I think that it's a lot of fun, Initial D, and we should watch it and do it for a thing. But it was funny that I was just watching Initial D, and they, you know, were talking about the FD was coming down, like, one of the main... Have you seen the entire show before? Like, was this the first time you'd seen it, or you had seen it before? I'd seen it as a kid, but, like, only pieces. Like, this is the first time I remember anything about it. Like, I remember the idea of, like you know, them drifting and stuff like that. But, like, I have, like, le- it's almost like a Power Rangers kind of memory to me. I know what the Power Rangers are. If you ask me to, like, describe anybody that they fought, I couldn't do it. Putties. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, putties. But even then, like, I, like, I remember watching some of Initial D, but, like, never, it was, like, very loose. Like, it's it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I right. just, I, I don't remember any of it. Okay. So this is, like, the first time I was paying attention. Gotcha. So you're driving an FD. He's driving an FD. License plate. For CBD, hilarious, you know, CBDs, big, big news lately. Of course, of course. 626, that's his license plate number. And I caught two stickers on it. The most obvious one is the Veilside sticker on the back. Do you know what Veilside is? Nope. It's the body kit company that makes these, like, wacky fun time body kits for the RX-7. It's a Japanese company. Okay, okay. On the driver's side door, he is number three, Mm -hmm. which is very interesting. Like, why would Dom not be number one? Why is he number three? Three letters in Dom. Oh. That's almost certainly not the case, but maybe. No, because it's like, it's zero three two. you know what I mean? So, like, that's his racing number. I can only assume that it's his dad's racing number, right? Mm. But why we would not know this, not have this... It doesn't make any sense to me. I they just put know. a number on it. Yeah, some some random lot boy picked three and slapped it on this one. <laughs> All I know is that next minute we're going to have Brian have to convince Dom to let him in the race, right? So yep. this is going to be a very exciting minute next. This one, again, set up, build up, pay off. Set up, build up to the payoff for next minute. But uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Yes. Joe, let's take a quick break. Not bring anybody in. There's no guests tonight. But let's take a quick break. Come back to talk about the Italian job.
Jobs, episode number 46. Pit Stop. Pit Stop. Italian Jobs. This episode is brought to you by the Mini Cooper, feistier than ever. Like their notorious predecessors, all new Mini Cooper models share the same great performance DNA. Updated with modern performance features and a committed passion for racing, the Mini Motorsport teams are once again taking tracks, or in the case of the World Rally Championship and Dakar Challenge, Dirt Roads and Deserts, by storm. Thank you, Mini Cooper. Do you ever watch Dakar? Do you know what it is? No. It's like a desert rally cross that they do. Okay. It's really cool. They have it on TV sometimes. I think it's on Fox Sports. Cool. We watched a bunch of it before. But you can do it like they have like they do motorcycles, rally cars, and then they do like trucks. Like okay. box trucks. And it's just like this desert rally and there's like water. It's a, it's wild. You know what I mean? It's essentially like a free for all. Yeah. Like there's like giant puddles and shit and people get like stuck and like fall off their bikes and like. I like that. I'm into that. That's cool. Yeah. It's it's like more. It's not a track. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they're racing and they do many segments. It's kind of like a Tour de France. Like, you know, you do like this so many miles. It's like Rowdy Sparks and Supercross. No. <laughs> Oh, it's not, not like that? Okay. No, it's not like that. I'm just saying, like, you know, it's like multiple days. You do, like, one end to the other end. You gotcha. know what okay, I mean? Yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. Is that sort of like the kind of thing that Hunter S. Thompson was doing, like, in Fear and Loathing when he... Is that that or is that something different? Kind of, but I think that he was on, like, a dirt track that was, like, an oval. Like, okay. I think they were doing, like, a, like in the desert. It would it would be, like, the new iteration of that, maybe. Gotcha. Or, but, okay. it's, but it's more of a straight line. It's not like a circle. You're not doing laps, is okay. what I'm saying. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So the Italian Job, 2003, directed by F. Gary Gray. I was telling you all along that I was worried to watch this again, because when we watched this, I actually wanted to look up when we did this for Charlize, we did this the Watch the Throne podcast. Yeah, would you give it on Letterboxd? I want to find the date. So we did this April 2018. Okay. So Not this was super long ago. This was the was same month that we did Fast Five for the first time. So I think that I didn't really have Fast Five burned into my brain the same way it is now. This movie is so it's it's sort of it's not bad Fast Five, but like it's proto Fast Five. Like there's it so is. much yeah. of that the Brazilian job that is this movie almost exactly. So when I watched it, the reason I was worried to watch this because when I watched Go it ahead. for Charlize, and you watch the movie from her perspective, this movie is teeming with sexism like it is her character it is. it's bad she, uh, mark Wahlberg walks in on her in her hotel room and she's like he doesn't leave aware. he's like creepily stays there she has to be the sex sex object she has to be like the one who like lures edward norton out of the date at the very end of the movie everybody gets their happy ending and her happy ending is she gets to be mark Wahlberg's happy ending like there's everything about her character <laughs> is so it's... terribly sexist and i agree depressing and i gave it back then i gave it two stars out of five today i bumped okay. that up to two and a half so I went from being bad to just okay, because if you don't really focus on that, and you sort of just are only looking at how she could be Cypher and Handsome Rob yes. Deckard, it's a little bit better. I still don't think it's a good movie. I think it's too slow, I it. and I think that there's not enough exciting things until the very end, but it's better than it was. I still, like, I didn't hate watching it but I'm not going to be itching to watch it again anytime soon. That's fair. I really like this movie. We've talked about it before. I, I think it's a lot of fun. I like heist movies. It's just a fun time movie. The first time I saw it, um, we went to the theater. We wanted to go see Terminator 3, and our friend's mom bought us tickets to Terminator 3, and when we got to the place, like, you know, because you had to have, like, an adult buy the tickets, yep. but she wasn't going to go see the movie with us, and we got to, like, the the ticket pooling guy. He's like, okay, where's your adult? And we're like, well, you know, she she bought the tickets for us. Like, that's how we're going in. And he's like, no, I can't let you see the movie, you know, without an adult. And we were like, 
fuck, like, this really sucks. And he's like, just go change them. Like, Italian job's about to start. And we're like, oh, damn it. But, you know, your kids, like, you were dropped off at the movie theater. Yep. So we're like, okay. So we go get tickets to the Italian job. We were, like, kind of bumming. And, like, we get to the thing, and he's like, trust me, this is a better movie anyways. Mm. And, um, what? I'm just, I'm trying to enter your mind as a uh, 13, 14-year-old. Yeah, yeah. So we're, like, we're kind of disappointed. We went to go see the Italian job, and we loved it. We were like, this is so much fun, right? Like, you saw, like, as a 13-year-old, you're like, this is a fun movie. It's geared up for kids that are, you know, in that age. Sure. Like, if you're a 13-year-old boy that likes cars that can't drive yet, this would be so much fun. That's how I saw it the first time, and, like, I was like, wow, I really liked it. Rachel likes heist movies. She had never seen it before, so in the past two years, probably because you brought it up for Charlize, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, The Italian Job, I really love this movie, and she had never seen it before. We watched it with her, and she was like, I fucking love it. This is great. She didn't remember any of it. So when we watched it again last night, she was like, holy shit. She was, like, surprised by stuff. I watched it again. I like it, but it's way different, and I hope, and I'm glad that what you said is, like, when I was talking to you, I was like, watching it for the movie or watching it for Charlize is a completely different experience to watching it to see how Handsome Rob could be Shaw and how Charlize could become Cypher at any given moment. That's my one big bummer about this, is that that's why we watch this, how we watched it, and there's so much Charlize because she's the female lead here, but there's not a ton of Handsome Rob. Like, I was sort of... I I didn't remember how much he had been... Because I've only seen this movie, I think, before today, maybe twice twice in its entirety. Yeah. Like, once way back in the day, and then once, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever. The most recent one I watched just for Charlize, I knew she was in it a bunch, but I was sort of thinking that Handsome Rob is in it more. He's not. But even in the crew, he's like sort of, he would be like last build in the crew, right? Because there's like Seth Green, who's got more screen time, most Def, who's got more screen time, and Handsome Rob is just sort of like drag, bring up the rear, kind of. He would be kind of like the, maybe the Tej-ish? I mean, like, he's not Tej. Clearly, Seth Green is Tej, right? Mirrored-wise. But I think that he would be like Tej kind of billing. Like, he would be, like, near the bottom, yeah, like, yeah. screen time equivalency. Because what's interesting about this movie is that Statham and Charlize, I think, both started acting around the same time, both around the mid-90s. Statham's first two movies had been Lock, Stock, and then Snatch, which Wes yeah. wrote about, and they're both great. This is I his, maybe, ninth or tenth movie, if if even that. Actually, there's a couple in there, there's a video game and a video short, so maybe his seventh or eighth movie. But he'd already done The Transporter by then. The year before was Transporter, so he was already... A name, sort of, right? Charlize started out in 95 as a featured extra in Children of the Corn 3. This was her 20th movie, though. So she had been in so much more in those eight years than Statham had been in, like, the six or seven years. Makes sense, yeah. You know, I guess it makes more sense that she's in this so much more, even though they started at the same kind of time, but she just sort of took off a little bit earlier. Mostly because I think that, considering how sort of sexist Hollywood can be, I think there's just also not a lot of women that they give parts to. And when you have someone who can act and who is beautiful and blah, 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 they're going to find places for you. As opposed to Jason Statham, who, like, there's a lot of action action movies, but to become notable... You sort of have to, like, prove yourself, I think, probably a couple more times. True. I agree. Yeah. I also do want to point out that this came out the same year as Too Fast, and the fact that there's uh, boat races... We did. We saw them both the same summer. Yeah, we did. Boat races, I think it's just kind of funny that, like, uh, it, it fits, because I was like, oh, they, they would sort of fit with Tej and with Suki down That's in Miami. Really, but, that's uh, really funny yeah. that you brought this up, because I actually saw Italian Job and Too Fast with the same two friends that summer. Like, we saw both of Do these Do you remember movies. which one you liked more? Probably. I, I think I really liked Too Fast more. Okay. And my 13-year-old self would have said Italian Job was a much better film, but okay. I liked Too Fast more because I liked that Ludacris was in it. Gotcha. And also, okay. you know, I liked Fast and the Furious, so yep. I would have been like, 
Yeah, I liked it better, but like Italian Job is definitely a classic. It's it will be a classic. I, I would I would have been confident. So before we get into our wacky fun time guesses, I want to give a couple little bits of trivia. I think most of which I gave on the Charlize podcast because I only look for trivia about okay. either Charlize or Statham. And there's not a lot about Statham here. Okay. All the main actors in this movie got driving lessons to sort of you know be able to look convincing behind the wheel. Statham got a couple extra days from Damon Hill. He's a British ex-world champion Formula One driver. Okay. However, everyone said that Charlize was easily the best driver among all of them, which I find ironic considering when she's in a franchise about driving cars, she's not even in a car. No, she has the Helen Mirren of the of the Fastiverse where she doesn't get to drive at all either. Or maybe she's yeah. maybe she drives away on her Jeep in the very first scene, but like that's such like it's just like puttering down a Cuban road. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's it's not serious. It's not driving. She's right. just in a car. She's moving a vehicle. She's operating a motor vehicle. She's not driving. Related to that, she got two speeding tickets while driving in her own car, going more than forty miles an hour over the limit while filming. She said that as she was filming she was driving Driving so fast, she couldn't get her speed down to drive home. So, you know, I I, I don't know if she's necessarily known enough That's at that bullshit, point. Though. We but talk about this because they don't let them drive fast. That in was the her movies. excuse. That's an excuse for sure. That's not real. I'm sorry, officer. I'm recording. I'm filming the Italian job where we get to go 35 yeah. miles per hour. I've yeah, got to go 95 in this 55. Yeah, like there's no like we talk. Yeah, we we definitely talk. Like you know how fast are the cars going? 55. Like they're not going 120. Like Brian looks like he's doing on. The, they're not going to put Paul Walker in a car doing 120 mo- miles an hour in a movie. You know what I mean? Like Charlize too. Like they're she's worth too much for them to let her do that. Yeah. The thing that we sort of the what we've been talking about for a while on the show, the Brazilian job, there was the the movie was sort of a surprise hit at the box office. Like this movie did better yes. than people thought. And so there was going to be a sequel called The Brazilian Job with Mark Wahlberg, Charlize, Statham, and Seth Green all coming back. But then key people at Paramount Pictures left at the end of two thousand four and rough drafts of the script didn't make the new people happy. And so okay. it's just sort of all fell apart. And then Mark yeah. Wahlberg said as recently as twenty fifteen that there was a sequel was still a possibility, which by now, give it up. Yeah, we fucking ate it. Fast and Furious consumed it for sure. And the last thing is that Charlize was F. Gary Gray's first choice. Mark Wahlberg also recommended her, and she spent time with a safe cracker in preparing for the role. So Ooh. pretty cool. She got a little pretty, method acting pretty going. Pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, very uh, Daniel Day-Lewis of her. A little bit. <laughs> the Italian job, is this available for... Like, I own the Blu-ray because this was one that I had bought way back in the day. Is this available for free streaming anywhere? Do you know or no? We've seen it on Netflix before. That's not how I watch it this time, but we've seen it on Netflix before. Uh, I asked Rachel about it last night. Yeah, it's not on Netflix right now. It might be on Showtime and Showtime Anytime, possibly, for free. So if you have Showtime or you can rent it wherever, um, we're not going to necessarily do a full movie breakdown because it's not really what this podcast is about. Yeah. I I do want to talk about specifically about the two characters. So hit us with your theory. If you have a big one, however you want to start, what do you want to talk about in relation to these two characters? I'm going to start just, just on the top. This is just a really overview. The first thing I noticed, because I'm watching for Charlize and she answers the phone. She says, daddy. And I was like, man, if they made this movie today, we would definitely not assume she was talking to her father Mm -hmm. when she answered that phone. And this could take a wildly different turn. Yeah. That, that was just my first, first Charlize words, first Charlize thoughts. I was just like, we've really fucked up that word, haven't we? Also, how demeaning <laughs> is it that your first word on screen in a movie is daddy as a grown-ass woman? Uh, 
I'm not going to do this entire yeah. movie, the entire discussion. I, I promise. But like, that's her first word in this is True. daddy. Yeah. So that's that was just like the first thing that I that I thought you kind of brought it up. But we see handsome Rob Shaw driving a boat, mm-hmm. which is very fasty. You know, too fast, too too furious. Came out the same year. You said so. Absolutely. That's cool. Sure. Next thing I noticed, and I don't know if you noticed this, but it was really really cool as they're setting up the safe bombing when Edward Norton is painting the thing right, and they're giving him the measurements. They do a shot where they go up through the building, mm-hmm. right? And they go through the floors. And to me, it was very reminiscent of when we follow the gas through an engine or the NOS through an engine okay. in Fast and the sure. Furious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, wow. I So I don't know if now this is more prevalent in movies that came out around this time. Obviously, like Fast and the Furious did this first in the first Fast and the Furious. But to see it in both movies was very interesting to me. I was like, wow, this is really really weird when i think of that kind of shot i think about the opening to fight club of them driving or traveling through the garbage can and the synapses your brain synapses like it just sort of like i think it's i think it was sort of a little bit cheesy corny like this is done it's it's a little bit better but it's still in that in that realm in that era we're able to do this on a computer but it's not necessarily flawless but it still looks cool yes the next thing Mm mm-hmm a very Shaw moment. They successfully steal the, the gold bars from yep. the gangsters. Mm-hmm. The first thing they do is all drink a bottle of champagne. Got a champagne problem. Got a little bit of a champagne problem mm-hmm. there. And we saw the whole champagne sequence in Hobbs and Shaw. So like I'm just like trying to see ways yeah. that he could be. And Handsome Rob is like very much Shaw. So they ask him what he wants to buy. And he's like, the only thing I can think of right now is naked girls and leather seats, which pretty much describes the Fast and the Furious. Yeah, it's half naked women and leather seats the whole the all through the franchise. Yeah, for sure. I'm just thinking about like uh, naked seats or naked bodies sticking to leather, uncomfortable oh, stickiness. Yeah. But uh, yeah, have you ever had leather seats in your car? No, for that reason. Like I just don't like it. Too, it's too hot. I don't want that. That's not a sign of luxury to me. It's not. It's really really bad. But in a lot of new cars, if you have leather seats, they have cooling seats. Mm, okay. So it'll blow air through it. Like Rachel's um, Rachel's parents have a car that has leather seats and it has cooling in the seats. And it's like, it's a very nice little breeziness going there. So when it's hot, it's actually very, very nice. And from what I hear, it blows so, the air blows so strongly, it'll blow a girl's clothes clean off <laughs> yeah so which by the way by the, the when the end of this movie you know <laughs> napster seth green he has the speakers that are so yeah. loud that they blow a girl's clothes off if that was true wouldn't she be like irreparably deaf as well that's what i thought too because the the whole time i'm thinking like i listen to my tv so loud because i'm deaf but if you had sound waves that high yeah this would be like a lawsuit of how deaf she got. It might actually from kill that her. Much. It might actually like rupture eardrums. But I also think it deafness. would kill like Seth Green and like maybe other people in that building too. Like it would be He's so in an loud. Apartment. Yeah, it would just be aggressively loud. I thought the same thing. Yeah. I don't want a stereo that's loud enough to blow girls' clothes off. That's too loud. Too that's, loud. And I like loud. Yeah. It's just way too loud. Anyway, naked women in leather seats. Yeah, so he says he wants to buy a Vanquish car, right? Aston Martin. Which he finally gets at the very end. Yes, he does. That's his happy ending. Check this out. They're driving, right? They they said, like, you know, Edward Norton does that. I'm going to buy one of everything, all of one of what you're having. And everybody's like, ha, ha, ha. Handsome Rob's driving, right? Somebody was like, did you see him driving that boat back there? And somebody else responds like, he was like a regular Don Johnson. And then somebody else goes, from Brixton. And I was like, oh. Whoa. Yes. So they're talking about Don Johnson probably from Miami Vice, right? Yeah. They're saying he was like Don Johnson from Miami Vice, but he's from Brixton. 
the city Brixton. Mind blown. And I had to rewind it four times because Rachel kept talking over the <laughs> Brixton part. And I was like, no, he says Don Johnson. She's like, yeah, he says Don Johnson. I'm like, no, 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 wait. I just want to hear the, the next part. And she's like, he says Don Johnson. I'm like, fuck. And so four times <laughs> I had to watch it to hear Brixton. Yeah. So Charlize is there, and I'm, I'm trying to find ways that she could be Cypher. Well, actually, so before we get to Go ahead. that, so they're driving. This one, they're on the bridge. They get stopped. Edward Norton turns heel, shoots and kills Charlize's dad. So here's my grand theory, right? And this, I think, transitions into what you want to say. How could this character become Cypher? So Charlize loves her father more. It seems like more than anything in the world, right? She's just like a daddy's girl, uh, literally daddy. In my head, why is she the way she is? Why does she hate Dom? Well, her dad died in Italy. She hates Italians. Just racism? The the country. (laughs) The country is ruined to her because that's where her father died. (laughs) That's a, that's a Fast and Furious style answer to that. That's Let me tell you a story. It's about my father, who's doing a job in, in a country called Italy, who was killed over there. And since then, I hate Italians. I hate Italians, all of them. Yeah. It's like Scarface, when he's like, I hate, I hate, Colum-, or what does he say? Like, I hate Colombians or whatever. Yeah. But also, more, more realistically, more closer to actually who she is, she's tech savvy. Or at least good with safes and good with that kind of, you know, she's got That's what I was gonna skills say. and traits. Yep. Yeah, she has the tech stuff because she, cause she, when she cracks safes, unlike her father, she uses the scopes, she uses the, the microphones. So she's tech savvy early on. I could see that evolving in the Fastiverse from her going to like using some tech equipment to break safes to being the world's greatest hacker. She's also a bit of a loner, which I think that if you're a supervillain, you're probably going to be not be able to connect with people. You're sort of doing your True. own thing, right? And also, I wrote down that she is she has affiliations with cops. Like she's working with the cops early on. Like she's an independent safe cracker, but she's using she's working with the cops. The cops hire her to crack safes or whatever. So it would it would make sense that she's sort of learning from within to then apply that knowledge on how to sort of evade them, elude them, and beat them. So I'm going to I'm gonna skip through, like, my notes in the order that they're in that follows the movie and start mm-hmm. talking about the Charlize, like, my grand Charlize theories. Yep. One of them is in cracking the safe yep. and stealing the money back, she gets her first little taste of crime. And okay. that is the spark that when she realizes that she can break bad and become a thief – that that's like the itch that she scratches because because before this she never looked in the safe right she would just crack it she's like i never look so we have that we have that unwritten temptation there mm-hmm. she doesn't want to see mm-hmm. it she she shows us she doesn't want to see what's in the safe because maybe that could convince her to maybe one day break bad and when she does steal edward norton's money and she opens the safe and she sees it she's so elated She's like, oh, she committed a crime. From that moment on, she's like, I need to steal more. I'm going to steal nuclear codes. I'm going <laughs> to steal a baby. Like, she's just stealing everything. Yeah, for sure. On your theory, why does she hate Dom? What if she gets her happy ending, okay? Mm-hmm. And she's a small-time criminal. With Mark and Wahlberg. With Mark Wahlberg. And at some point, Mark Wahlberg comes to America and tries to steal some DVD players. Okay, because if you're thinking about it, if we if we go to Wes's timeline, we go to the actual timeline, if this movie is set in modern day, right, 2003, yes. what we have learned is that the first movie essentially gets sort of zoomed up to 2003. So this is taking place essentially the same time as the original Fast and Furious. So stealing DVD players, right in line. Right in line. So Mark Wahlberg's, he's in Hollywood still, right? Because that's where they were to get Edward Norton. About to open a Wahlburgers. About to open a Wahlburgers, start his reality TV show. 
But before that, he needs some capital. Do you have thoughts on Wahlburgers? Email family at cageclub.me. Yeah, how does that fit into In-N-Out? I've never have you had it. I've never had it. Never had it. Okay. Nope. Sorry. Never Continue. Me. Go on. And he needs to get some capital, so he's going to steal some DVD players. He goes to heist a truck. Dom's like, this is my turf, and kills Mark Wahlberg. Whoa. Okay. 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 And he takes the one thing that Charlize had. Wait. Do you she think, lost her dad. Do you think what? he's the one? I guess that the timeline wouldn't make sense. I was thinking maybe he's the one who Dom killed with a wrench. Or almost kill with a wrench, but at that time, like, no, work. no, it wouldn't it was work like out. His dad's, yeah, 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 yeah. Dom kills Mark Wahlberg. Yep. Her father was taken from her. She got vengeance on Edward Norton. Yep. You know, her her boyfriend, husband, one true love is taken from her, and she has to get vengeance on Dom. And it just takes all this time to come back and get Dom. I like the idea. I'm wondering if, you know, ultimately her ultimate plan in, in terms of fate is to bring Dom in, but it feels like she's been sort of sending minions out along the way, right? Where she's like, yeah, Braga, go take care of this. Hey, Owen, yep. go take care of this. And they keep mm-hmm. failing her. And then she's like, all right, I'll take care of it myself. And she still isn't able to do it. You know what I mean? But like, I feel like it, w- it should be maybe personal from the beginning if, if he killed her boyfriend, but maybe maybe she's just testing him. Playing the long con. Yeah. But now in the reciprocal, check this out. Mm-hmm. Another theory. Mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg's still alive. Totally fine. Charlize and Mark Wahlberg and, and Dom maybe never never cross paths. Okay. Mark Wahlberg is the voice of Etion. <laughs> and they're a sinister duo. And Mark Wahlberg runs the human biotic department. And Charlize is now a computer hacker. Because he's really good at at building teams and being a manager, right? Yeah. And she's really good at cracking saves. In the Fast and Furious trajectory, would it be so hard to believe that you could go from building a team to running a bionic man empire no. and becoming the world's greatest hacker? Not at all. Totally plausible. It would make sense, right? Yeah. My new theory is that maybe Mark Wahlberg is the voice and that he's running the show, and that they secretly, and that'll tie Charlize in too, right? Because she's his boyfriend, or girlfriend, sorry. And maybe they're married now. Maybe they have, like, sinister kids. Wouldn't that Who be knows? such a kick in the dick if, like, the voice behind it was like, there's like a throwaway line, like it's a joke. It's like an, a line supposed to make the audience laugh, like, oh yeah, that was her job I used to do, or a job I did once, or whatever. And then that's actually the, the decipher, the codex, whatever, to decipher it all. Like, that's the, the key to, like, Oh, it's like the, the beautiful mind. All of your theories, fuck all that. This one throwaway line, this joke, that's the real overarching theory here. But it would make sense, right? Mark Wahlberg will be big. He's ripped. He could come into the <laughs> Fastiverse. What? No, I like that. I just like that he, he physically looks like he belongs in the Fastiverse, so let's get him in He's there. still working out, man. Yeah. He looks good. He does. Well, you saw his like 19-hour-a-day workout regimen, right? Yeah, it's like get up, pray, do six hours of push-ups, Pray. At 2.50 a.m. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spend 15 minutes with the family in the morning. Yeah. Go to bed at That's 6 That's what I'm PM. saying. So he's built for it. He's, yeah. he's already geared up for it. So he could come in and hop. Yeah. Imagine dude, I would lose my shit if it was Mark <laughs> Wahlberg and I figured this out before anybody else. So I was also writing down that, like, is does that mean that, like, most Def and Seth Green are also in the Fastiverse? And then I had an idea about most Def. Left what? ear in this, and this is you're gonna see where I'm going. Just when I say this, okay. Named left ear because he put one too many M80s in the toilet. Did he teach Rigo and Tego how oh. to explode toilets? Oh. Right. I never connected this. That's a really good theory. You never know. Maybe they were like in high school together. Possibly. You don't, or, or grade school. I mean, you know, yeah. they were exchange students. They were in America for a couple years. Mm-hmm. 
They went to grade school. They don't. They didn't really speak English very well, but they got along with the little kid mm-hmm. that was, you know, doing explosive stuff. So they were kind of bad. That would be really awesome. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I can get behind it. Do you have more of the uh, Mark Wahlberg as the ultimate villain theory or no? No, I, I don't have. That's that's just that was my thing. It's either like Dom killed Mark Wahlberg, yep. or Mark Wahlberg is the is the the head of Etion right now. Okay. And that would make sense to me. Both of those. Gotcha. But one viable. way or the other, it's because of him that Cipher is doing what she's doing. Yeah, it has to be linked to Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, right? either because he was dead, he was killed. Or because he's telling her what to do, like he's they're, they're sort of a power couple, and they're both after Dom because she hates Italians. Yeah, exactly, precisely. They don't even eat pasta in their house. No, it's just all gross. Fuck Italians. Two cool things that are kind of tied together in a very very loose way. One, Cipher starts out in Pennsylvania, and I could tell that because she had the Pennsylvania registration stickers on her car. Okay. And I was like, these look very familiar. And then she pulls up to another car, and the, there's a Pennsylvania license plate in front of her there, which I, you know, I would never watch license plates in car things like that, but because we do the minute, I was paying attention to that. The second thing is, is while that's happening, or like right after that's happening, I think it's during it, they're playing the song The Reckoning. Do you remember the song The Reckoning? The Reck, you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Do you know who sings that song? No. The Reckoning is a song that's by Pennsylvania. From Orange is the New Black's band. That's oh, really? Singing it. Yes. Interesting. Very cool little tidbit, right? Okay. Those were the two, you know, Pencil, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, little bit, a little bit. Yeah, but she was in a band and she sang that song. And, like, I totally forgot about that until cool. Rachel brought it up yesterday when we were watching it. She was like, is that the Pennsylvania song? I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. In this one, we get Shaw playing basketball. Handsome Rob is playing basketball with Mark Wahlberg. Sure, yep. Very interesting. We don't see a lot of sports in the Fast and Furiouses. They're never playing any sports. Well, Braga is at the driving range in four, which is why when Skinny yes. Pete or Little Pete was at the mini golf thing, I was like, oh, there's a connection there. I was also That's thinking, what I was thinking too. talking about uh, Little Pete, that when he says, you know, I learned never to mess with Mother Nature, Mother's in Law, or Mother freaking Ukrainians, that like he yes. definitely should have gotten the fuck in this movie. He should have said that should have been the one use of it there, right? Should have been the one use of it. It also seems like that line is eighty yard over. It does seem sem- like did. like eighty yard, right? Like he said, he said yes. He actually cursed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's at the driving range, and I was like, oh, very Braga of him, right? Like mm-hmm. this is exactly what we thought, just like you said. But I also thought, how m- similar is this to the man with the bear paw? In Tokyo Drift. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the very large man, Sean is kind of nervous about it. You also have... You're entering you into know, where he deaf. feels comfortable, right? Like, they're in his element. They need to go talk to him. Maybe they're not collecting money, but they're trying to collect the goods that they need. Most deaf almost gets tossed out, right? Like, he irritates him. And, I, and like, I think they kind of actually look similar. I mean, not ethnicity-wise, but size-wise, tattoo-wise, stuff like this. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is a very, very mirroring scene Although it's in two separate places, I can I can I can see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking that when I was watching that with little Pete, then we get like a nice bang, bang, bang scenes of Fast and the Furious, right? Okay. From there, well, before before that is them test driving the minis, which is basically them trying to evade the the cameras in Fast yes. Five. Like they set up once again. Yep. Imagine this is the same universe. They set up once again the like indoor. This is an indoor route, but the outdoor route for. Fast Five, the, the, you know, Braga's money, they set that up to sort of time themselves in a virtual environment. Yes, to see how fast they could get through it, mm-hmm. how much time they need, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, exactly. Right before that, we get a shot of an L.A. truck yard, which is very reminiscent of the first one. Yeah. Like, the very, very first scene, mm-hmm. the opening scene of the of the L.A. truck yard. The longest runaway chase, 
which Handsome Rob's driving down the highway, reminiscent of OJ, but we get a lot of highway chases. World's longest runaway instead of world's longest runway. That's what I called it, yeah, the world's longest runaway chase. And we do get a plane runway in this. Mm -hmm. We see the plane shot. I also said that at the end of this, just like in Fast and Furious 6, there's a helicopter blazing through a city just like they do in Fast and Furious 6. Exactly. The the recurring theme of helicopters that we get through the through line through both of these yep. is incredible. And it's like helicopters flying in places they shouldn't be doing helicopter maneuvers that only expert helicopter pilots could probably do are both incredible. Like this is something that you don't really people try to keep helicopters not under bridges or driving down the street firing at cars right next to them. It's a very interesting thing. I only have one other comparison between this and the Fastiverse is that Go ahead. like Reyes, after they steal the one money, they, they steal like one bit of his money, they burn it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he then collects it all in the prison or in the uh, in the police precinct, right? Yep. Here, Edward Norton also sort of makes all of his money. He collects it all, puts it in a truck to move. Like it makes it once again easier. Like they sort of have to improvise, but... Just like in Fast Five, they kind of yep. put it all together, and it makes it, instead of having to go get one million here and one million there and one million here and one million there, or whatever, just one-stop shopping, basically. They bring it together so it makes it easier for them to get. It, which shows you how closely related the scripts are, right? Like, they do something, they kind of fuck it up, they tip off the guy, he goes to bring the money together to move it, and it, in turn, he makes it easier for them to steal it. Yep. We have... Seth Green doing the impression, which apparently of... made F. Gary Gray laugh so hard that like they like it was just like un- they had like unusable take. Like he loved that. Feels Roman esque. It feels very Roman esque. But Rachel points out when we were watching this, she said that most deaf is a thousand percent the Roman of this movie. Okay, I can see that. Just like the way he does, like I had a bad experience. You know, we hungry. Like, these kind of mm-hmm. similarities, just the comic relief of it, the kind of doofiness to him, that he needs to kind of be a distraction. Then last, 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 last final thing I have. Because we were doing this lap, and because we were following the chain, yeah, we see when Handsome Rob seduces the girl, he copies her key, and she had her key on a chain, and that he had to use the key impression to get another key, but she was, like, aware... Like, the key was, like, made on, like, a long lanyard so that she could wear it around her neck. And I was like, possibly inspiration? We don't know. Oh, I do want to say, I just... Speaking of the necklace, that in the minute that we did, the Fast and Furious minute, we see the yes. necklace, I think, for the first time. Dom is wearing it. For the very it first time ever. When he yes. shows up. So, and he's got his black sleeveless tee, his dark pants, and he's got the necklace. Again, a lot of necklace in this... This episode, both in Fast and Furious and also in a time job. Um, I think that that covers all the ways that I thought that this could play in. Like we said, we didn't talk about the movie too much, but I was just, I just want to talk about the theories that I had, what I was thinking, like, you know, all the things that I noticed, the similarities. And now it's going to be really interesting to go back and rewatch Hobbs and Shaw from the perspective of the Italian job, too. My only real regret, and I think I said this already, is that I just wish that Handsome Rob was in this more. Like, I wish that we had more. Like, I love the crazy, wacky theories that you and I both came up with for Cypher, but I wish that there was more to extrapolate from Handsome Rob, but he's just not in it enough. Like, there's not enough... Like, he doesn't... He sort of feels just like a... He's just kind of there. Like, they just need, like, a, literally another warm body, right? Like, it's like they don't have... They no, don't... he's a wheel man. Yeah. But he's the same thing that he is in Shaw, like, right? Like, he's a thousand percent the same person, same character. Not that it's, like, a very intricate, unique character, but he's, like, the wheel man. He kind of is good at everything. He's handsome. But we also know that he was, like, black ops, right? So I guess that was maybe before this. Like, he went from being best of the best, quit... Then did this, I guess? Possibly. That would make sense. 
He could do that. Maybe that explains why he gets off on all these like highway chases and he's not in jail forever. He might have been so good at robbing that he takes a break and becomes black ops. Like they recruit him because they're like, damn, you're so good at being a thief. Like, you know, like when they recruit hackers to work for the government type thing. Yeah. Like maybe like black ops was like, hey, we need a guy like you, a wheel man that's beautiful. And he was like, "That's I'm your man. I can see it, for sure. And he breaks good for a little bit, and then is like, no, life a crime for me. And he goes back. <laughs> Next week, we will be going back once again, tapping into that Hobbs and Shaw well, bringing on the Mikester of the ride-along laugh to talk about Hobbs and Shaw. So get excited for that. And then we've got some exciting stuff planned over the next handful of weeks. A bunch of bonus yes, episodes coming do. your way, especially... No, you are my lifespan. I'm so excited for you. We're getting closer and closer and closer. The relap recap and then kicking off the next lap, which will be our driving school lap. So very exciting stuff coming up on Too Fast, Too Forever. Any other thoughts, Joe, about the Italian job or this episode? Are you ready to close up and come back next week for Hobbs and Shaw? If you listen to this and you saw Hobbs and Shaw and you like the Fastiverse, go back and rewatch it and just like pay attention and and try to do the same thing. It was a, it was an enjoyable experience for me. So you would say you did not have a bad experience. I did not have a bad experience at all. Yeah, if you have thoughts, if you have other theories about how Handsome Rob becomes Shaw or Stella becomes Cipher, similar different spellings but similar sounds, uh, email true. family at cageclub.me. Let us know. Uh, check out Too Fast You Forever for our Patreon. Leave us a review if you want us to be found by more people. Just say hi. I mean, we know that you're listening. We love that you write in. If you have not written in yet, uh, we would love to hear from you. We would love to hear your rankings of the nine movies. If for fun, I'm not going to keep track of this, but if you want to put the Italian job in the list of rankings, do that too, whatever you want to do. But yeah, yeah family at cageclub.me. Email us and let us know. For all things Too Fast, Too Forever, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash Forever, or at too fast too forever on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, family at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon page at too fast too forever.com and come back next week for the ride along continues. The resurgence of the ride along, ride along resurrected with Mike mm. the Mikester Manzi. Third ride's a charm. Third ride's a charm. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe too. And we'll see you next week for Hobbs and Shaw right here on Too Fast Too Forever.